Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be sitting down with Amber, board member and foster extraordinaire of Fetch, Foster, and Rescue, an organization with a mission to advocate for shelter dogs through education, rescue, foster, rehabilitation, and adoption. Having just got their footing in 2019, it's incredible to see just how much this organization has grown and how they've persevered despite the challenges the last two years have brought. With that said, it was incredible to bring Amber on to talk about the importance of cherishing fosters, transport missions, and rescue village mentalities. If you like this episode, be sure to click that subscribe button to listen in on similar stories. Other than that, let's get started. Welcome, Amber. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? So great. I mean, even better because we're just like staring at this pit bull at your side that is just <laughs> like the sweetest angel baby I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, I love her. I feel like we need to include a video, like just a little snippet of just like, she looks so zen and happy and just like, I'm just going to curl up under your arm, please. (laughs) Yes, she's loved and she knows it now. (laughs) (laughs) So sweet. So Sydney works with you. So she has like a little bit of a sneak (laughs) behind the scenes feel um, to all your rescue work. But we always like to go back because I know sometimes we don't even ask like how things got started. And really how the rescue got underway. So tell us, how did things get started with this rescue? So Fetch was founded in 2019. Two women got together and they realized the problem we have here in Texas. And they decided we're going to start rescuing dogs from Texas. And then as they started to get into it, they also started rescuing retired puppy mill breeders. So they, they try to save those dogs. They they don't get a life and they deserve a chance. So then they started really, I mean, just two women started and now it's a pretty big organization, I would say. We have a pretty good team in Wisconsin and in Texas here. Wisconsin and Texas are not close (laughs) to each other. So how did that happen? (laughs) Texas has a very overpopulation of dogs. So we there's a big need to save as many dogs here as we can. And a lot of rescues up north like to focus on these high kill states and Texas being one of the highest for most for bully breeds too. They want to help try to fix it as much as they can. And I don't know about other rescues, but Fetch in particular, they try to work with different people on not surrendering their dog, but staying and neutering because that is part of the problem is there's not a big enforcement on spay and neuters. And we just have all of these strays reproducing. Sorry, she's catching flies. <laughs> no, it's so cute. Had to pause for like kisses. That's so sweet. Yeah. Well then, so how did you get involved with, with Fetch? I, in the beginning of 2020, before COVID hit, I had two dogs. Somebody had contacted me and was like, hey, we have no place to put these dogs. We don't have a rescue yet, but can you take them in and just foster? And at the time, I had just let go of one of my fosters. And I was like, okay, I have some space here. And that's how I got involved with Fetch. Those are always my like 
my blessing dogs because they got me into this fetch family. And ever since then, I tell them, I'm like, you can't get rid of me. I'm stuck. You have me for life. Oh my gosh. Well, how precious. And I'm guessing that those two dogs, they were adopted or did you end up keeping them? So one of them was heartworm negative and he got to transport very, very fast. And he has a fantastic home. And then the other one, Ellie, she was heartworm positive. So she stayed with me for a few months. And when I tell you that was a hard dog to let go of, she was so perfect. But she has a fantastic home in Wisconsin and I did not foster fail her. (laughs) My gosh. And I know, so the dog that's been at your side here is your foster too. So are you just always continually fostering here? Yeah. I tried to take a break. I said, you know, I'm going to take a few months off when I was getting farther along in my last pregnancy. And I was doing really good. I had one foster when my son was born. And then two weeks later, she transported, which was Faith. Y'all, y'all had a campaign for Faith. And I was like, okay, no fosters for at least, you know, three months. Give me a break. And I did not meet that expectation. <laughs> oh. That's amazing. I can only imagine. I mean, with a newborn baby, that's enough on your plate as it is. But you're just like, let's level up. (laughs) Yeah. I have a bunch of fosters. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I know for a lot of rescuers, we've seen a lot of adoptions and like a dip in, in fundraising. I'm wondering if you could maybe shed a little bit of light on how things were with Fetch over the past year. So Fetch, we were actually very blessed. We, so many people struggled and we, I mean, worked day in and day out to fundraise and continuously be able to provide. Uh, we had a slowdown when it came to vetting here in Texas, all of the uh, low cost or free spay and neuter clinics just completely shut down. So that put a delay on a lot of stuff and it forced fosters. We want to continue to save how we do to double or triple up on the dogs that we have just so we can kind of stay at the same rate of how we were doing it. But we have such an amazing support team behind us. And it was very incredible to be a part of. And I always work to fundraise for my fosters that I have just to try to cover their specific vetting. And just through my campaigns alone, we raised 10 grand for Fetch. And then there's, that's not including, you know, all the other dogs that they took in within that COVID year. It was, it's just nonstop. It felt like. And then were you able to continue transporting or, I mean, I feel like I took a road trip over the past year and it was like kind of difficult even to move around because like everything was <laughs> closed and like, but I, so I'm not sure moving state to state, you can only imagine it's, it's uh, a lot more difficult. So Fetch is very lucky. They have their own private transport. So we have a rescue partner in the Valley, which is very, very South Texas on the border of Mexico. And she starts there and Fetch rescues dogs from the Valley, from San Antonio and from Dallas. So she works her way up and then they meet in Oklahoma and the Fetch van drives from Wisconsin down to Oklahoma and then they put the dogs off there. So that's, where we were able to not have big delays as far as transport goes because they do have their own van. Now, in February of this year, they actually totaled that van here in Texas. They hit a patch of ice, even though they had snow tires on their van. We got a ice storm here and they hit a patch of ice and the van rolled. 
thankfully there was no dogs on board. They were just about to start. They were heading down to, to load up the dogs and both of the transporters walked away unharmed. That was insane. So we had to, of course, fundraise and try to get the new van to continue all of this. Bridget, that was during the um, those uh, huge winter storms that were hitting Texas a few months ago. It was insane. I, we did a fundraiser for it and the photos were just the whole van is tipped over. It was that could have gone wrong very quickly. Yes. 100%. And then the kennels were compromised that we used to transport. They weren't safe to transport dogs now. So almost everything had to be replaced on that van. But thanks to Cuddly, we got there. Well, I mean, that I'm very glad to hear. How early in, because that those storms lasted for a hot minute. And how early did that happen? Because I can only imagine when those were all hitting, you were probably of the mentality too of like, okay, let's move all of our dogs out of here as much as we can, right? So they were headed down on February 13th to the valley. And February 14th is when everything kind of Valentine's Day, that night it started to snow. And then the next morning, Texas was 100% not prepared for that. And it was, we just kept snowing. And I think we got, I want to say seven or eight inches everywhere. And for us, we've, I've never seen snow in San Antonio. So that's just insane for us here. And We lost power. I did everything I could. I'm going to get emotional here. But it was hard because I was 34 weeks pregnant and I had 10 fosters, my own dog, and I had my toddler and our power was out. You know, it was just, how do I keep everybody happy and warm and fed because we can't get to the store? I mean, it was was a really hard time. And then when the the van rolled, it was like, you know, how much more can we take? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I get emotional. No, I feel like you're getting me choked up because I can only imagine. I mean, that's so many dogs, not to mention being pregnant and having a baby yourself to be caring for. Well, and just something as like little as like having no power. I think like if my power goes out, you know, for whatever testing for like an hour, I like realize just like how much I rely on just like the very simple things that power gives me. Yeah, we lost power for five days. I mean, we'd wake up in the morning and it's almost zero, one, and then the high is 11. It was insane. And I mean, I have to imagine that your house probably wasn't built to be like insulated for that kind of cold too. Like Sid and I are in Southern California and I'm pretty sure my house would just like fall apart if there were snow. (laughs) Yeah. I have mostly all tile. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine that too. There's no warmth on the floor. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so happy. I mean, it sounds like you've bounced back from that. And that's something I guess you can always tell yourself. You're like, you got through that. You can mm-hmm. get through anything. Oh my gosh. For sure. So kind of going off on a tangent, I know you mentioned this earlier, how like you were fostering multiple dogs at once. And then, you know, during the pandemic, how everyone had to load up. I actually wanted to ask only because I know that this is something that multiple people have come to me about. How do you go about fostering more than one dog? Like what, what, is that like, how do you do it sort of thing? Cause I know one can already be a little overwhelming for people and then, you know, they don't want to stop at one. So I try to make things as peaceful as possible for the dog. So my house is truly built around my kids, my dog's schedule. Consistency in a schedule is amazing. And as much as people don't like kennels, 
getting a dog to trust the kennel and to feel safe and calm in there, even if you just kennel them at night, is a huge help where they're not barking and they're really at peace. And then my dogs, I have five of my own dogs, and they're truly the ones who kind of set the mood for the house when new ones come in. And they'll show them, you know, hey, we can play, but you need to tone it down around the kids or you use the bathroom outside, not inside. Because <laughs> when you deal with these feral dogs, they don't know. I personally have built a dog run for the dogs. So that way I still have my backyard, but then the dogs have their space. Yeah, I just, I've built a little mini dog empire here. <laughs> Invest in it if you're passionate about it. And I feel like it shows. I mean, just seeing your one foster next to you, I'm like, that is the calmest <laughs> dog, the calmest, happiest dog I've ever seen. Now that things are potentially, are, are kind of opening up and the world's kind of getting back to normal, how are things shifting for you guys as a rescue? We're able to advertise our dogs more, which has been a tremendous help. So in Wisconsin, they deal on the more of the adoption side, the fosters there, and being able to take your fosters into a public setting and showing people, hey, this is the dog I have, and letting them meet them in person rather than just see a picture online is a tremendous help because it's hard to portray that dog in a picture, right? And people, it's just so easy for people to skip past it now. But us being able to get our dogs back out there is one of the biggest things. We're able to get dogs adopted and people don't realize the faster we can get dogs adopted, the more we can save and get moved up there and the more we can save in Texas, which helps clear the shelters a little bit. It's just a never ending circle. I feel like it is so incredible to see, like you were saying, your rescue has really grown and it's become like this big network almost that's like saving animals across Texas and moving them up north where potentially there's like a lot of open homes that are like, please give us a dog. It's a dramatic difference. And for example, I had one recently that was available for adoption here in Texas. He was with a local rescue and he sat there for a month no interest whatsoever. And he was a small terrier mix. He's cute. Goes up to Wisconsin with Fetch and a week later he was adopted. That's just the difference is dogs are viewed so differently up north. And I personally work with a few different rescues across the US and in Canada. It's amazing how different dogs are viewed up there. <laughs> it is so funny too, because like we're used to people saying that and it's like, mm -hmm. they'll talk about like, Washington or different other place, Colorado. But it's funny that it's like so many states all lined up up north. I wonder if it's just, they say there's there's still plenty of dogs in the shelters, but I wonder too, if it's just like a different variety of dog or something else. Well, up north, their shelters aren't as overpopulated. So here in San Antonio specifically, I think our shelter has, I want to say a couple hundred kennel spaces. And every day they evaluate who, which dogs have been there the longest. Actually, they only get 72 hours from the time they come in and then they get reevaluated. Um, and then after that, they get put on the euthanasia list just to clear space for all the new dogs that continuously come in. And it feels like a never ending battle down here. And when you're a dog lover, it's so difficult. You have so many people reach out and rescues are so willing to help, but without fosters, there's truly only so much we can do. I mean, I have a lot of fosters here, <laughs> a lot right now. 
but um, I have to know my limits. I mean, even though my limits are insane, I still have to know, okay, I can't push it that much farther. Well, and so with such a well-run organization as Fetch, I feel like every rescue and even like some shelters who do some fostering have like their certain system for their fosters and training and different things. I'm wondering if there are certain things that you've really loved about fostering for Fetch that would be like helpful to other rescues because we all need more fosters, right? And I feel like any tips and tricks like, oh, as a foster, I love that you did A, B, and C for me. Is there anything in particular? With Fetch? That's why I feel like I was more drawn to them to become so involved. They're very open about the funds that they raise and where they go. And I personally like that. If I'm asking my friends and family to donate, I want to know that the funds are truly going to the dogs. And whereas a lot of other rescues, they won't release the invoices. They won't release the, you know, where the funds were specifically spent. And for me, that's a big thing. Also. I need to know where my dogs go. I put a lot of time, a lot of time and attention into my fosters. And just because I let them go doesn't mean they're still not my babies. And that's another thing Fetch does is they allow me to stay in communication with the adopters. And I cherish that more than anything. Because on the days where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. This is insane. You see these updates of your past dogs. And you're like, okay, I felt that same way with them. And look at them now they're blossoming and you're like, I can do it. (laughs) I just think support, a lot of support, being open and honest and make your fosters feel like they're special. There's a lot of rescues who they need the fosters, but they, they don't treat the fosters like they need them. And I feel like that's what sets such a part is they recognize that everyone needs everyone and you can't do it by yourself. And not one person is more important than the other. And that's the biggest thing to treat everybody like they all are important equally. I mean, I love what you're saying about like updates because it is such a little thing for so many rescues and it is so very meaningful, like not only to fosters, but of course to donors too, because I feel like everyone gets caught up in the story and you have this like big emotional response when you're fostering, when you're doing all these things and having that like additional, like tying that loose end makes all the difference. It's so amazing. With how many fosters you've had, you must get an update every day, right? (laughs) Yes, I do. But I also give updates daily. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So when we pull from the city shelter, I always send updates to the people who helped us in the shelter because I always think, well, are they curious? Like what happens to these dogs who get pulled? And so I always send them updates and I send updates on all my fosters to the rescues and then I get updates all the time, but I love it. Marsh, that's such a good idea. I wonder, I love that. I think we've talked about it before, how like a lot of shelter staff, they tend to get demonized and things like that. It's not always their fault. You know, there's lack of funding and things like that. Those people do love those animals and they, you know, try really hard to get them rescued. So that's so sweet. I feel like if I was in a shelter and I worked there, I would always be wondering what happened to that dog. Yeah. I love that. I'm interested if you've gotten any like response from the shelter about your updates, because I do feel like more than that, if I worked in a shelter, I feel like I would have to kind of emotionally cut myself off Mm -hmm. from a lot of things because it is so overwhelming to have to put these animals on a euthanasia list and constantly be evaluating them. 
So I'm wondering, have you heard anything back from the shelter? I mean, do you have like friends over there now who... I don't have friends because they actually, they're very good at keeping themselves distant from us, which I don't like, but I understand for them. They're just kind of protecting themselves, but they always message us back and they're like, I appreciate this. And the double amputee Mona, they had actually emailed us and asked us if we would save her. Vets love saving the ones that nobody else wants to save. So the, you know, medical cases, the older dogs, the aggressive dogs, you know, the ones that other people just look away from. They sent us Mona and we were like, yeah, we'll save her. No problem. And so when she received her double amputation and she's in Wisconsin now, I sent them an update and I was like, this is because of you guys. Because, you know, instead of making that decision of this dog's in bad shape, let's euthanize her. You reached out to us and gave us this chance to give her this. And they were happy about that. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I feel like I would be in tears. if I got that. (laughs) Right. It is such a situation where, and this is terrible to say, but you have to assume so many shelter workers would just be like, okay, well, this is an easy one to put on that, that list that have like, they have to be euthanized. Like I'm really helping this animal, putting them out of their misery. So that is amazing. And I'm, I mean, let's just say that it's probably part and parcel due to some of the updates that you've sent over because they're probably like, yeah, they're like in it and they're going to turn this story around in such a big way. Yeah, I like to think that it is. We have pulled some dogs we've pulled who were medical cases and we gave it our all. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough. But at least I feel like we gave that dog a chance before we made that decision. And then the other dogs, they just thrive. I mean, I have Asher who was deemed aggressive in the shelter and we're like, Hey, you know, we want to save this dog. And they go, Oh, well, he's already in the euthanasia room. Let me go see if he's still alive. And our hearts dropped. I was like, no. And so 10 minutes later, we got an email. We pulled him off the table. You can pick him up at such and such time. He's a little sedated still. And I was, that was just insane to me. We get him and this dog is the sweetest dog in the world. I mean, he has these big deer eyes almost where they just look at you and he's had two FHO surgeries. He's in water therapy right now and everybody handles him and he's just so sweet. My gosh. I love him. Just the difference of like taking them out of like that, like really stressful environment. And I'm sure, I mean, FHO, that. He probably was in a lot of pain too. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's only, he's only 10 months old. So to be that young and to have so many medical issues already is just, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to trust people. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like he's basically lived an entire life before he even came to you. And now you're like, yeah, but like, let's send you, give you a good life. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. And he just wants to love and be a companion. And I just, all of these dogs that people just look, I mean, I could go on and on, right? Because every dog has their own story and it, they're all important to me. But I have to say the one that I appreciate you guys the most for that you helped us with was Faith. That was just, she pulled at my heartstrings. Somebody made a post in a lost and found page and they had found her on the side of a road. and. I was like, I need to save this dog. And so we had emailed y'all and we were like, we need help because we don't know what we're getting into with her. And 
I mean, thanks to you guys, it was just above and beyond more than I could have ever, ever asked for or dreamed of for her. And now she's adopted and living her best life. And say, I think we do have a success story on Faith. So we'll be sure to include it after because honestly, her story is one that's absolutely worth reading. Yes. And she's such a sweet girl from the beginning. She was so neglected and beat and abused. And she's so, so sweet. You're so sweet because I just feel like through this entire time, I just am like seeing like your heart in every single thing that you're doing. It's like so amazing. I mean, with that being said, I know we've touched on a few like of the cruelty cases, neglect cases that you guys have, have taken on. And as we were getting ready for the podcast, we were talking a little bit about, like I know for us and for anyone who follows Cuddly's social media, I feel like things feel like they're getting like, And I don't know if it's just a matter of what I'm seeing, but they feel like there are so many worse cruelty cases and it feels like more prevalent. And I don't know if it's just been a high stress year and so it's impacting things in other ways, but I know that you were saying that as well. Yeah, we. I've noticed a definite upswing in specifically cruelty cases. I mean, we deal with strays a lot here in Texas, but the fact is that a lot of these strays are coming in abused and broken. I have three dogs here who have BB pellets and they're somewhere in their bodies because people just shoot at them rather than try to save them. Or one dog has a shifted jaw and a broken leg right now. And it's just, you know, I don't want to say this, but maybe people have too much time on their hands and, you know, these they're like, oh, there's this dog. I don't know, but there is definitely something going on and it's overwhelming, honestly. All the more reason to donate to Fetch. Mm-hmm. It is so hard for us to see, but we're so ha- happy to be partnered with people like you because we're like, you are the ones that are connecting with this shelter and, and sending these meaningful messages and working together to save these animals who otherwise wouldn't have a chance. So it's so heavy, but it's also like, we're, we're so, so grateful for, for rescuers like you and fosters like you, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Such a life-saving mission. So amazing. Yeah. And Fetch, I mean, I think they've been two years now. And if I remember correctly, there's been over 500 dogs adopted through them. It's that number for me for not being a ginormous rescue is insane. (laughs) When they released that, I was like, that is amazing. That's amazing. I love that. It is amazing too, to just think like, that's how many like families they've brought together. Like, (laughs) it's not just like a dog. It's like, uniting like a family who's like so incredibly happy to have this new member. That's so great. Yeah. Well, so I know, so you've taken on a lot of, it sounds like probably a lot of strays because you're in Texas and then cruelty cases. Is Fetch still working with a lot of puppy mill breeders as well? We don't have that, thankfully, that problem here in Texas. I mean, we might, but it's not as much as in Wisconsin. You have a lot of different communities up there that just breed, 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 breed. And they work, I want to say they get maybe 10 to 12 every other month released to them for various reasons. The dog's too old or the dog can't reproduce anymore, or it's got health issues, producing bad puppies, whatever the case may be. Some of these dogs have never been outside of a kennel and they're absolutely terrified don't want to be touched, don't want to be looked at. One dog, she got to play with a toy for the first time and she was already five. And 
when you see these dogs realize, hey, there's more than being in a cage. It's just that moment, I think, is what keeps them going up there because I could, I know how it is down here. And for them, that's got to be that moment where that dog figures out, I'm not doing that anymore. I have a life. (laughs) It is so heartbreaking when, when they've been in a kennel for like their entire lives too. I know in one of our commercials, we have, we feature a dog that was just kept in a kennel its entire life. And it was really heartbreaking because it was a little Yorkie. And because of that, they just get, it just kept spinning in circles and because it didn't know it could just run in a field. Yeah. It was happy, but it was also just like, wow, the permanent damage from being in that situation is just so, so much. Yeah. And you have so many people who are quick to say, oh, that dog should be euthanized. That dog is not going to learn. And you're like, no, you need to give that dog time and patience. And that's what the dog needs, whether it takes a few weeks or it takes up to a year. I mean, it's an, a dog is an investment. And I tell people, I'm like, there's no such thing as a free dog. You could pick up a dog on the side of the street, but you're, you're committing something to that dog. And that's what, when you rescue these dogs, it's so much more. I get told a lot, oh, that dog should have just been euthanized. And I'm like, no, you don't see the value in it. And that's the problem. Absolutely. Well, that's what they thought about Zella for the, yeah, whoever her previous owners were, thought that she was too old and that she needed to be euthanized. And look at her now. She's literally living such a good life. Zella, she is so funny. That girl tries to run away and she can barely move and she'll get up and just waddle her way somewhere. And you're like, where are you going? <laughs> she wants to meet everybody. If a neighbor's out, she's walking over there trying to meet the neighbor or... I mean, she's such a sweet girl. She really is. I mean, I just can't imagine. I have a 16-year-old Ozzy, and I'm like, I would never give him up because he's too old. Mm-hmm. But y'all, her campaign went, got a lot of views on it. And I'm just praying her old owners saw it and see that she's popular now and people love her. I love a good, like, senior comeback story that's like, take that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in a really nice way. Yeah. In the best way possible. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So are there any, like, it's hard to plan things in in today's world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But are there any big goals that Fetch has into the future? Yes, there are. Would love to expand. I know they're trying to work on a few things to hopefully allow this expansion to happen. And what we mean by expansion is to be able to save more dogs at one time. That's the biggest goal. And that's where we're working on it. On the Texas side and the Wisconsin side, nothing was built overnight. It's going to it's gonna take a little while, but we're hoping for a good expansion. I feel like this is like a little teaser of like, <laughs> just watch out. Like tomorrow we're going to see you guys on the news and be like, ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to keep people coming back for more. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, a great ethos to have. Absolutely. I, we're, we're so glad to be partnered with you. We do have some kind of fun questions to end on. And I know you have just like, at this point, it sounds like you have about maybe like three or four packs of dogs at your house. Do I give numbers? Do I give a number and real, <laughs> reality? Right now I have 17 fosters in my home and I own five dogs. Oh my gosh. Just briefly, what does feeding time look like over there? Do you just have like <laughs> set hours? It takes me an hour and a half to get through my feeding time because each dog has their own diet and there's all of the dogs get pumpkin and warm coconut oil in their food and some dogs are on a raw diet. Yeah. So it takes, 
takes a while, but they are all fed separately because I do not want to take any chances on anything happening. That sounds like something based off experience, like where you're, you tried once and then you're like, and he ate three bowls of food yeah, <laughs> and so-and-so didn't get any. Yeah. You have your submissive dogs who will just walk away and you're like, oh, great. You need to eat and you need to stop eating. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Let's start with my favorite one. What is the naughtiest thing you've ever had an animal do in your house? So I, I'm lucky I have very good dogs, but I had one chihuahua. He was picked up off the street. And I tell people, I'm like, you can take the dog off the street, but you could not take the street off the dog. My dog run is no dog can get out. And every time that dog would get out and he'd be sitting on my front porch waiting on me to open the front door. And he would never run away. He'd never go anywhere. He would just wanted to show me he could escape no matter what. And he'd be sitting on the front porch waiting for me. Oh my gosh. Little Houdini. I'd say it's always the chihuahuas, but they're a little feisty ones. Yes. He was a good dog, but I don't know what it was. He just, and I would fix whatever he would escape from and then he'd find something else. I'm like, okay, okay, dude. <laughs> That's amazing. He's like your little, uh, like little tester. He's like, right. And I'm, I'm trying to make this safe for everyone. So that's how I looked at it because now I know for sure no little dog. I have some six pound dogs here right now. They can't even escape. So yeah, I think I thank him for that. Oh my gosh. So is there, I mean, obviously you love Fetch so much, but is there another rescue or shelter that you like really love or have a have a crush on? So I work very, very closely with Fetch and also Niagara Dog Rescue, which is in Canada. They Niagara, they do a lot of blind pools, which I admire from our shelter. They don't care of medical conditions. They don't care about temperament, size, age of dogs. If they have the space, they just go in and say, tag 14 dogs for us and we'll, we're going to pull them out of there. They find, I mean, incredible homes for their dogs. But I like working with them too, because they let me get in touch with the adopters and I think why I like working with them also, because I know where, who are my dogs are with, because they're, they're still my dogs, even though they're not. <laughs> okay. So we've never, I've never asked this before, but I just know from my foster experience, there were some like surprise, happy endings for some of my, my fosters. Has one of your fosters ever gone somewhere and like lived like an incredible, amazing life, like, like in some bizarre way? <laughs> One of my fosters, in, it's a true rags to riches story. So this dog was here in Texas, a Malamar mix, chained up outside, living in trash, drinking from an old, dirty bucket of water. I bring him in. He's a great dog, friendly, goofy. And this guy in Canada was like, yeah, I think I'm going to adopt him. And the guy is like mega, mega wealthy, lives in a mansion. And so now that's where the dog lives. He has his own bedroom with a queen size bed and he, they have their pool out back. The guy's like, I don't swim, but the dog likes to swim. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm available. You want to adopt me? <laughs> like, I'll move up there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm married, but I'm available for adoption. Anybody is. <laughs> yeah. That dog rags to riches living just discarded here. And now he's a millionaire. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad I asked that. That's amazing. Queen size bed for a dog. My, I would love it. His own pool. That's so incredible. Well, I imagine with all the work you do, you probably have some sort of like 
ethos or something that you tell yourself to like inspire yourself? Is there one like life motto that you live by? Well, it's going to sound really cheesy and corny, but just keep swimming. Just keep going. There's days where I just don't want to anymore because dogs are dogs. They all have their own personalities. And yeah, I just keep telling myself, just keep swimming. (laughs) Well, at this point, you belong in the Olympics right now. I'm pretty sure you've won gold, at least in our opinion. So, well, thank you so much for, for chatting with us. I can't believe that there are no dogs surrounding you and you've got 17 in your home right now. That's amazing that you're able to kind of finagle that. Yeah, it's hot. And I'm like, you are going to all stay inside. (laughs) You're not coming out with me. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much. Amber gave us all the feels in this episode. It's amazing to hear from Foster's mouth exactly how she feels about everything with the rescue. And we're so honored that we're able to partner with Fetch in so many ways to help many dogs. If you want to learn a little bit more about their mission, you can check our show notes or our blog. And as always, remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. And be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.